0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I'm your host, Gman, CEO of Sanprem, And today we have a new special guest, Karsten. What was that again, Karsten?
1: Karsten Nervang.
0: Karsten Nervang yes. from Denmark. And yes. Karsten is the CEO of an AI software company called Paperflow. And Paperflow uses machine learning to process documents like invoices, receipts, and other things that you have to deal with in your finance department. And Carson himself is actually a finance and accounting guy. He used to be a CFO before he became a Cf- CEO. Is that correct?
1: This is correct. I have a background where I feel I felt the pain on my own body. So that's that's my <laughs>
0: point. yeah, yeah. And so in this episode, what we'll talk about the most is a CFO's perspective on AI, and of course, we'll talk about what Paperflow does. But really, we're trying to get the inside story on what is the state. Of an organization from a CFO's perspective, and what is where's is the place for AI? Like right? where where can we find optimization? What could we do with new technology? Right. Yes. So thank you so much, Karsten, for joining us. And uh, to start with, I want the audience to understand the nature and the scale of the problem, right? So although we did a quick overview, who are your customers? And what's their situation? What's going on?
1: Yes. First of all, thank you for, for inviting me. Um, and, and our customers, this is uh, not limited into specific industries or anything yeah. like that. It's, uh, it's a broad range of, uh, of all industries. It's all the companies who have an accounting function. And it can range from the very small, like uh, hairdressers and, and, and stuff like that, up to, to very big companies, they all have a need to uh, to find an easy way of handling the invoices that they receive. It can yeah. be uh, rent for the the hairdresser. Uh, it, it can be uh, goods bought for warehouse in, in a big production company. All these companies receives a lot of invoices, and they I they see. need to take data out of these for different purposes. There are some legal requirements that you need to fulfill for for tax reporting and stuff like that there are to pay your suppliers you need to know the amount and the, the payment dates the bank details and stuff like that and the, the third uh, purpose of uh, of reading the invoices is, is for for economic overview knowing your spent uh, how much do we spend on different categories and, and optimizing this uh, mm-hmm. so uh, so the customers can be uh, in all kinds of businesses and uh, for paper flow we have seen uh, a huge growth uh, in the small companies uh, picking up on, on this. Denmark is a, co- a country that is uh, special. With, uh, we have uh, a lot of small companies. We also have some big ones, but we have a huge amount of very small companies, and, and you probably have that in, in a lot of, uh, of countries. And and by our solution, where you don't need to to train your uh, your uh, data capture setup. You can just take an invoice and you can read it with a high predictability from the first one. This makes it easy for for these small companies um, to get on board and start having the benefits from uh, from data capture. Mm-hmm. We uh, we sell our product through partners, uh, meaning that uh, that we're partnering oh. up with uh, different systems. It can be ERP systems, bookkeeping systems. But also, all the kind of sub modules that are connected into your systems, like inverse approval flows. So, a lot of these have embedded our data capture into their software. Mm. So, from our around 10,000 uh, companies who use us on a monthly basis, I would say that less than half know that it's actually paper flow that's uh, in science. Ah, oh, okay. So, um, to this have given us an easy access to a, a big group of customers. On the other hand, you also know that when you're working with partners, it's kind of an, an extra link until the end customer. So you need to make sure that you also pick the partners who can grow and, and who can mm-hmm. bring you to the next level as a as a growth company. Mm-hmm. Um, I it's see. also, our partners are also in FinTech, you can see banking solutions where if you go back to the three purposes I mentioned before, it's also the purpose about getting your invoices paid. And especially for small companies, this uh, the, the, the payment of an invoice is, uh, is the most important thing. You want to get it into the bank and get it paid faster yeah. than you want to, to do your annual report and do a tax return and stuff like that. So you, you need to have an easy way to get the payments done so you can Use some of the, the Danish banks, and, and you have an option to take a, a scan, send the PDF invoice to the bank, and they will read the needed data, like amount, uh, bank information, and, and due date, and stuff like that. So you just need to to go to the you, – you can send all your invoices to the bank, and then you just need to log on to your, your net bank and approve them.
0: I see. So in essence, um, I totally get I totally understand, you know, uh, what you're talking about in terms of the problem. Uh, As an entrepreneur myself, you know, we have to process invoices uh, and we sometimes really just put them off like we just deal with them at on a case by case basis. We put them off for the end of the month or for the end of the quarter. Like, hey, we're going to just go through that whole grunt work within a few days, cram it all together. Right. We won't really deal with them on a day to day basis instead of making payments and stuff. Uh, And so I totally, I totally get it in a sense, what paper flow really, the value of paper flow really lies in eliminating the amount of time that your human resources are spending on this, you know, taking like copying data from one place and entering it in another. So it's like, it's removing the data entry. It's automating the data entry portion that mm. happens in a lot of the financial accounting departments yes. is that a good summary
1: it is if you take the small the, the, the small like uh, the hairdressers for instance they don't want to spend time on handling these uh, these stuff they want to their hairdressers because they like to be hairdressers and not because yeah. they like to pay invoices so yeah. so this needs to be as easy as possible and they will save time that they can spend on on their hobbies together with their families and and, and so on but for the bigger, the more corporate companies, they are, of course, looking at cost. And it's not unusual that the cost for the finance department is 2 to 4% of the total revenue of a company.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: uh, of course, if you can optimize that, it will, <clears throat> it will go directly onto your, your EBIT. Uh, so so mm. if, if you can reduce the time spent on your accounting function, and handling invoices is, is not in itself value creating. Uh, it's just an administrative burden yeah. that you need to to do as fast as possible and and uh, as little fast as, as possible. Even for the accountants who are doing this, it's uh, probably one of the most boring jobs just to, to look at invoices and keying in the, the numbers manually. Mm-hmm. So it's not that uh, that we see that that the, the people affected directly by this are, are against the change. They they can see the idea that the most boring part of their job can be optimized and then they can spend time on what they find more exciting and what will bring more value to the company. Mm-hmm.
0: So let me ask you this, and this is kind of a sidetrack, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in a typical accounting company, right, or in, in the accounting department, finance department of a typical mm-hmm. company, let's say f- 300 people, right? Yes. Um, usually the finance department is very small, you know, it's like you said, it's only two to 4% of the headcount, uh, in terms of resources. There's like a few people who just set the budget, right. For the company, that's more yes. of the strategic finance portion and the yes. Yes. fundraising, the debt and, you know, the equity yes. and the burn it all that. That's one go. Yes. How much of, how much of a finance department is typically even doing this? accounting type work this low because it's like software for accounting and finance has been so like it's been there for so many years right uh you have software a lot of times you have the of course you have documents come in but most of the finance grunt work is already automated how big how much of time how much time is are people really spending on this grunt work
1: this is actually a, a, a significant part of of this work you see accounting People, you, you can divide into different roles. Yeah. There, are, there, there are accounts receivable. Uh, people, the ones issuing invoices and uh, booking incoming payments, uh, sending uh, reminders uh, and, and things like that. And yeah. then there are the accounts payable persons, which are the ones who gets the invoices from suppliers. Make sure yeah. these are booked and uh, do the payments to suppliers and, and, and this kind of thing. And and you usually have uh, more people in the account payable payable function than in accounts Mm -hmm. receivable. I would say quite often it's it's a factor two to three. Uh, So if you have one account receivable, you have two or three accounts payable. Uh, So so this is uh, where you have the the biggest part of the manual work uh, in the accounting functions. This is to handle the incoming invoices because the outgoing invoices so typically you say oh the the number of incoming and outgoing invoices would be the same globally looking at it mm-hmm. but but issuing an invoice is much easier to automate it gets automatically out of your system based yep. on the, some data uh, purchases and, and stuff like that but the incoming yep. invoices you get in different formats from all your suppliers mm-hmm. and you need to find a way to handle that in an easy way
0: Mm, I see. Makes sense. So you said, you know, like the accounts payable department is pretty much most of the time just uh, collecting invoices and and the accounts receivable, it's more like, you know, uh, receipts and whatnot and asking people to pay.
1: Yes. So mm. accounts receivable are working with the customers and accounts payable are working with the suppliers. Yep.
0: yep. Of course. Of course. Um, and how much how much are people using paper for this stuff? You know, there's, there's, a, there's a reason why you call yourself paper flow, right? Yeah. Uh, and although a lot of it depends, like, happens online, but what what was the reason for uh, calling it paper flow?
1: Yes. But it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good story, but you can say it, it starts with paper. If, if you go back in time, it was paper. And um, there's still differences on how digitalized you are in different parts of, of the world. Mm-hmm. Say in Denmark, we are probably in in the Nordic region. We are one of the most digitalized parts of, of the world, yeah. and and in Denmark, uh, companies usually don't receive paper invoices. It's not that that the that the postman comes with an invoice and put it in your mailbox. Uh, it's yeah. more PDF invoices. Yeah. But the the challenge is basically the same. You see, you you cutting out uh, the, the the postman if you use a PDF instead of a, a printed invoice. Mm-hmm. but you still have to get the data out of this PDF document yep. and, and for yep. us it don't matter if it's uh, if it's a paper invoice that you send to a scanner and mm. then you have the, the PDF of it or if it's yep. kind of born uh, as a PDF document, you still need to, to do your OCR to, mm-hmm. to get data out of these invoices mm-hmm. and, and this, is, uh, this is still a major part of the invoices uh, uh, in, the, in the European Union, there are talks about uh, a standardized way of doing electronic invoicing, but it's uh, oh. picking up very slowly, uh, and mm. it's probably not going to work. Yeah, it, obviously, there have been talks about it for the last ten years, and I would guess it will not work for the next ten years. To a larger extent, someone's using it, of course, but it's not. It's not a significant part of b2b invoices today mm,
0: yeah it makes sense because you know uh even as a so i, I also have a european company and uh, i just can't imagine i mean it i can imagine but i just don't see why a standardized invoice format would make sense for the vast majority of business
1: exactly exactly and and, and we also hear some of our major customers saying that, uh, yeah, we looked into this, but it's uh, the the format is too limited. Uh, We need a format Mm -hmm. where it's possible to do something special.
0: Yep, 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 yep. And so how did you, like, so you have all these um, documents which are by nature extremely diverse, right? But not that Mm -hmm. diverse, of course. It's it's an invoice Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, right? It's not like you're analyzing everything from invoice documents to... I don't know, complaint reports right so uh, the machine so you essentially have a computer vision i'm just i'm just guessing here you have you essentially have an ocr a computer vision system and that you've trained on a lot of documents to yes. extract the most you know common the most important uh, fields like let's say the vat number or the you know the bank the banking number or yes. the dollar amount or whatever all those fields right how yes. did you get where did you get the data to like how do you start uh yeah. the building the product with this
1: and 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 this is actually an important part of our business model yeah um, when we started we also realized yeah we we have the ocr and we're actually just buying ocr from from an yeah. external supplier like google and microsoft and so on yeah but the hard thing this is to label the data yeah. The OCR can read some characters. It could be uh, 9, 12, 21, just looking at the date today. Yeah. And and then, are these the invoice number? Is it a date? If it's a date, is it then the, the invoice date or is it the due date? What is the the format of the date? Have they switched the month or date uh, and things like mm-hmm. that? But but this is what we do in, in our AI uh, algorithms. And then mm-hmm. you need to train an algorithm to get it to work, and you really need uh, a substantial number of of data to make it work consistently. And uh, we uh, pretty fast realized that this could be expensive. It (laughs) is expensive. Uh, We actually, at the moment, we have uh, around 30 people uh, employed who's not doing anything else than looking at in day after day and training the algorithm. Uh, wow. th- this This inner self gives us a huge amount of data that we can mm-hmm. benefit from. And then you can say, hmm, wow, how do you finance this? Yeah. We have a, a smart model of financing it, we believe. Um, we have uh, offering two products to our customers. Mm-hmm. One is a plain AI scan. This is mm-hmm. not 100% correct. You can never at least not at the moment, expect 100% of of an AI algorithm.
0: Yeah, even humans are not 100% correct when they read an invoice and they're wondering what's going on, right, sometimes.
1: Exactly, exactly. We're actually joking a bit with this, sometimes saying that that reading an invoice is harder than driving a car. (laughs) Maybe it's not, but but anyway. Uh, But these people in in Bulgaria, they then look at the invoices and then have an additional product where we call it a validated product. So you can buy something, that is not 100% correct because humans also make errors but the humans have been looking at what was the ai algorithm guessing and the humans corrected and you buy something that's as good as a human mm, yeah you pay you pay a higher price and this is funding our yep. training
0: i see i see yeah it's interesting you know and i used to work at a company that pretty much did only data labeling at scale for uh for training AI models for companies. And mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting that if you when you're really putting data machine learning into production, you kind of have to have a whole operation that's ex- exclusively dedicated to training your model, to getting to preparing the data to train your models, right? It's almost yes. like if a big software company has to hire a, a few more software engineers, the mm-hmm. same way you have to hire an army of data, something to, to label the data Uh, As a machine learning company, it's like that level of expense. And when I was working at a self-driving trucks company, at one point of time, we were going to spend in in our annual budget about a million dollars exclusively on data labeling. And our Mm -hmm. whole fundraise was going to be, before the company shut down, which is a different story, the whole fundraise that they were going for was about 20 million-ish. And of mm. that 20 million, 1 million was exclusively dedicated to labeling data. That's it. Yes.
1: Yes. It, yeah. it, it is expensive to do this uh, training of, uh, of the AI algorithm, for sure. It is. But, but, but having our customers to pay for it has made it uh, possible for us to, to get thousands of documents every day that, that goes into the, the, the training pile. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, and uh, so that's that's really the not secret sauce, but that's really the you know from what I see the distinguishing factor, right? In terms of competition, because there's there's so many people that you know are building OCR companies to you know process documents, right? I've been hmm. reading about this since probably eleven years now. People are you know raising money to do OCR and document processing for different types of documents, different industries. Um, hmm the real question is training the ai models with the right data so yes. you have a really accurate understanding of what's on the document right yes. so yes. it's by at heart it's a machine learning problem at its core
1: mm. and, and and we have uh, we had different considerations also on how to do this training should we allow our customers to do the training should we mm. kind of uh, have customers doing corrections on, on what the AI scan was doing and then put that into the training algorithm? And yep. we have actually decided not to do that until mm. recently mm-hmm. because uh, we, we don't want or we want to make sure that what goes in have a high quality. And, and we wouldn't trust our customers to make sure that they're not uh, trained in a, in a wrong way. <laughs> and, and you say I also heard from a, a professor of the technical university in, in Denmark that it's rather unusual that you give your users an, an access to train the algorithm in real time. <laughs> but we have, we have actually recently we have done that. We launched a new product. We call it My Paperflow, mm. which is a, a customer interface where you can go in, you can buy our AI scan. Yeah. Uh, and then you can work on your documents for yourself. Meaning that, that you can see, okay, in this document I would like the, uh, the algorithm to take this reference number instead of this reference and, and things like that. You mm. can adjust it a bit by yourself and uh, and to to stay sure, we give that a local training so it don't affect kind of uh, all the other oh, customers. All customers. And, and, and as the professor explained, you would normally not do this real-time training based on user data, because could you imagine that someone had a culture of uh, flashing the lights in their Tesla each time they saw a bird? <laughs> if, if Tesla that starts to flash lights each time they see a bird, that would be uh, not probably what Elon Musk would like. <laughs> but 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 here you can train and say, okay, my Tesla is flashing the lights when they see a bird. And, yep. And so, so kind of to limit it into a a more kind of local training this uh, it's what we are experimenting at the moment
0: mm, I see so for anyone who's not familiar with the with the jargon that we're talking about we're basically talking about personalized online learning uh, yeah. and what that means is let's say you have a product that that's been trained you know a, a machine learning product and uh, however it's trained on the data of 5 million customers, but you say, oh, it's good for 5 million customers, but it needs to be really good for my use case because I'm different, right? And so you kind of take that model and then you feed it your own data. It's like you adopt a dog and then you teach the dog new tricks that only you want uh, the dog to learn, right? That the dog wouldn't learn anywhere else. Uh, (laughs) And it's your dog. It's not going to keep learning any other like, it's not like by teaching that dog a new habit, you're teaching all the dogs in the world a new habit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of like what personalized learning uh, is about. Mm. It's interesting, you know, so is that like, if somebody is an accounting department, right? They It's kind of like also free data, right? Like, if yeah. they are training the data, if they are kind of taking the fields themselves and maybe inputting them into the software in their own format, uh, you can still kind of, in terms of, just gathering a lot of data, right? If they're correcting the data as well, it's kind of like similar, right? Where you give somebody a a pre a preliminary scan uh, scan, uh, uh like it's a, a result from hmm. the uh, from the machine learning model, and hmm. then they correct it, so they kind of get give you free labels, right, on what this document was really supposed to be. Why, so when you, when you talk about, you know, that personalized learning and so that they don't corrupt the rest of the data set, isn't that really like, given that, that invoices are already that diverse, already super diverse, isn't that like a free source of label data for you that would even further reduce the number of people you need to hire in Bulgaria for doing the labeling?
1: What are yeah. you thinking about that? Yeah. And I'm thinking that on an invoice, you have different fields like total amount, and uh, total amount is a good example. Probably more or less all accountants around the world, if they're looking at an invoice, they can agree on what's the total amount. It's pretty clear. Yeah. But you also yeah. have all things like like a reference field. It could be, uh, for some, would take what's stated in the PO order field, and would take what's in your reference, and so there can be kind of different fields who want to be used in, uh, in different ways. Mm. So we're giving an an option to make sure that you can kind of tailor the solution so it fits your needs on on these special fields. Uh, The the global learning is just fine or the amounts, for instance. Mm -hmm.
0: So that's actually a good segue into the next part, which is, so I understand, you know, it's automating a lot of the document processing. Mm. What is the future roadmap? Where is the company going? In a strategic, from from a, from a CEO's perspective, from a high-level perspective, where where are you going besides just take cornering this market? Of course, there's a huge opportunity mm-hmm. in uh, document processing. But for your existing customers, what else yes. are you, do you have in the pipeline?
1: Well, I think the the development in this field have over the last five years been on how can we improve the correctness. How can we make sure that that the percentage of fields that the algorithm do is correct?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, And we have now reached a a good level on that. And for the accounting people, it might not mean that much if it's 95 or if it's 92 or whatever. Mm. Because you still have to check Mm. to find the few ones that you need to correct. Yep. So I, I think what is going to be the next step here is that you uh, you you be more certain or you, know, you become more certain so, or, or maybe dividing what you're reading into saying okay this pool I know the algorithm did just fine mm-hmm. this pool we are not 100 sure about you should check this part yeah so I think it's 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 a matter of uh, it's if, if, if you go back to the example with the self-driving cars, yeah, you wouldn't let go on those uh, in the streets before you know that they are quite mm-hmm. sure.
0: Yep, yep, yep.
1: And and, and and the same here, you wouldn't let go and just pay your invoices automatically before you're quite sure. You'd like yeah. to check the amounts uh, uh, and maybe also the yeah. currency before you just mm-hmm. click pay. Yep. Um until now, it has been handled in most of the self-driving cars by there should actually be a driver in the seat to be ready to take over if something yep. happens. Mm-hmm. And and the same you see in the accounting teams. There should actually still be an accountant to check yeah. and be ready to correct. But if if we can start saying, but this car now is proven to drive by itself on the highway, but if you go into the city center, you need to take over. Mm. That, that would be a step forward. And, and mm. the same in the accounting. If, if we can say that for invoices from these and these suppliers and, and whatever, this is working just fine. For the old ones, you should still be careful.
0: Mm, I see. So the next step is basically continuing to improve the accuracy and uh, offer eventually offer a feature where it's much more hands-free
1: from it's... the accounting team. Yes, yes, but but to to give an assurance to kind of put divide the data into two pools. One saying this one I can assure you you don't need to check it you can rely on it. Yeah, this one I would advise you to check it.
0: I see, I see. So it's really that last let's say last five three percent of accuracy. Um, from from a customer's perspective, let's zoom back a little bit. From a customer's perspective, how much is that last three percent worth? in terms of the product that you already offer? Like, you already offer a huge, like, you know, an accurate, let's say, it, an accurate uh, it, analysis. It's, it's,
1: worth, it's worth a lot because it takes time just to to open an invoice on your screen and and fast checking a few fields on it. It, mm. it also takes time, but if you can say, I don't need to look at it at all, you will save that that time. Mm-hmm. So so I, I think the next challenge would be not just to increase the quality, but also to increase the percentage of invoices that are 100% correct. Mm,
0: I see, I see. That's an important factor, you know, I think for anybody listening to this who wants to build an AI company, and it's a theme <laughs> that I've seen in many machine learning companies that I've talked to so far, where the last 3% can mean the difference between adopt a 50% adoption of a product versus a <laughs> 70 80 90 percent adoption of a product like the adoption rate skyrockets after you reach that last you know the more you bridge that last three percent in in terms of accuracy whatever standard you set right uh the last few percent is really the the really the gold mine right
1: exactly and i agree on that i just tend to say that i have realized that we and probably no one will Go above this threshold on everything. Yeah. Yeah. So we just need to say, okay, this part we can be above the threshold, and on yep. this part we are still below the threshold. Mm. And then, and then the, the kind of the competition gets into who can get the highest percentage above the threshold.
0: I see. Yeah. Is it, is it, a, very, is it a very competitive space for you in uh, in Denmark right now?
1: It, it is. We have some uh, some large competitors that are yeah, have been in this space for 20 years, doing it in a more kind of traditional way, where customers are building their own templates and, and stuff like that. And this was probably also why it was adopted by by small customers, uh, mainly in the beginning, because they they had seen or heard about bigger companies doing this data capture, but it was hard for them to to do the investment to get started. Mm-hmm. And, and, and another reason of starting with small companies is maybe just traditional uh, disruption kind of thing that that you start with something that is uh, easier, then you become better and better and and, and eat the, the market from the bottom. So, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, are the big companies that you know you're mentioning? So let's you know actually let's segue into. You were talking about the banking sector, right? So mm-hmm. uh, on the website, and that's one of your target strategic customer groups.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What's what's special about the banking se- sector as a customer space from, from Paperflow's perspective? What else the could special, you do with them?
1: Yes, the, the special with the banking sector is that uh, the process for the banking sector is mostly tailored to the small companies. Because if you're a big company, if you're corporate, you have your ERP system, you get your invoice into the ERP system, you get it booked, you get your monthly results and program loss reporting and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then you have a file or an interface from your ERP system into the bank, so the accountant can do the payments in the bank. Mm -hmm. But for the small companies, it's much more time critical to get them into the bank faster. So they can put the data into the bank, they can do the payments. And then they can have their accountants looking at their bank accounts and do their accounting afterwards. Mm. So it, it will mostly be the, the, the small businesses who will use their the banking solution. This is the expectation.
0: I uh, so, so when you say banking solution, you're not selling it to banks, but rather a solution to your existing small customers to deal with banks better is that is that the, the wrong no, no, idea we are,
1: we are actually we are partnering up with with banks so we okay. invoice the bank and they then just embed into their online banking oh okay, okay where you can take a picture of your invoice or you can send a pdf and then there's a payment proposal that you just need to approve you uh, see but but the, the biggest companies you. will not take all the invoices and start putting them into the bank They will still like to get them into the bookkeeping system erp system first Mm -hmm.
0: yeah that makes sense because you know for example i uh it's interesting you know i've not used seen this in india but uh in my u.s bank account i once had a a check come in in the mail in the the post and i was like you know i'm so far away from my bank branch i don't want to go to the bank to just process this check but turns out, you know, my bank had this auto, this online computer vision type system where you could take a picture of your check, your check, and it would just process it automatically and you know credit the amount, the the money to your account. Yes. Uh, just from that, so something like that, right? Where on the back end it would be paper flow system processing those invoices and uh, things like that. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. So, so for. Uh... For the hairdresser who gets the monthly invoice of the rent, just forward the invoice to to a mail address you have from the bank. Next time you go into a bank account you see a payment proposal, you click Approve, and then you are done, and and your accountant can look at it three months later when you need to do your tax return. Mm.
0: Since banks are a fairly... I mean, I, I don't want to make a blanket statement, but they're a fairly conservative industry, right? They don't really want to touch things that are that haven't been touched for a while. <laughs> Nobody wants to be the first one. Uh, what's it like? I'm just curious. What's it like to work with these companies? Like, what's been your experience in the the, the years that you've been dealing at Paperflow? What What are the sales cycles like? What are the conversations like for you? The real perspective.
1: The sales cycle takes for ages. Of, of course, I would almost say it from, from the first talks until they kind of make an agreement, they commit to do something, then their development team starts doing something, then they're waiting for a new update on, on the online banking, and then it's roll out, and then it's marketing can start and, and stuff like that. It takes uh, two to three years often. Wow. Um, so, mm-hmm. so, so, we are in some of these uh, processes at the moment. Uh, but the banking industry in Denmark and, and in Europe and in general are also under pressure because of uh, mm-hmm. of new legislation mm-hmm. uh, giving uh, other businesses without bank authorization options to do uh, payment transactions. So, they, they, they want to make sure that they can keep this business because if, if the payment transactions move out to kind of new modern banking setup they lose mm-hmm. uh, or they risk losing uh, the contact to the, to their customers if, if they only talk to them when they need to borrow some money or, or something like that they, they lose this close connection so it's mm-hmm. uh, it's we, we sell it to the bank also as a way of them to stay relevant for their customers mm-hmm. and, and to make sure that they still have the flow of transactions there's also a value for the bank that they can see the in and outflow of, mm-hmm. for the people for the that they borrow money to. Mm-hmm.
0: What are the alternatives like uh, for payment uh, processing if you don't go do it through the bank uh, I mean what's the threat to a bank uh, right now in uh, Europe
1: but, for example? But, but you say in, uh, in Denmark or in, mm-hmm. in the Nordic region all payments go through a, a bank or, or a modern bank solution uh, but the traditional banks are, are the ones who are a bit reluctant to go into this you have in uh, in the Nordic region uh, new modern banks like like lunaway for instance uh, that is uh, okay. trying to build up they they actually call themselves not a bank but more kind of a a data provider and an, a software provider
0: okay okay
1: um, so they offer solutions to do payments and stuff like that but they're not really a bank and and you in, in all parts of the world you have uh, payments by by check and and stuff like that we don't use this here in, uh, in Europe
0: that much anymore. I see, so, so if I understand correctly, what you're really talking about is, you know, since a bank from the payments perspective, so there's the two sides, right? There's the payments perspective, just handling transactions, and then there's the borrowing and lending, the credit side, right? Yes. The payment perspective is basically you are a sub ledger for the central central bank or whatever, right? You are keeping mm-hmm. a ledger of all the transactions, and then you report them back to the, the central authority in the government. That's one business line which you don't have to be a bank to start. That, that's mm. the that's the real that's the real situation. The credit mm. stuff, borrowing and lending, that as well, you don't exactly need to be a bank to do that, right? You could be just in that business where you just borrow and lend money to people, understand their credit scores and whatnot. Yeah, but, and but so, still, yeah, you, yeah.
1: you are on the more restrictions from the from the authorities if if you start borrowing and lending. Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So the banks are basically at risk of losing the the transaction processing. But how much uh just you know, as a general knowledge, I'm not really familiar with this, how much uh, percentage of revenue or what is the business opportunity for banks to you know from the payments perspective? How do they how do they make like how do they really
1: uh I, I, I don't know percentage and, and stuff like that. I know I know that they have fees yeah. on some of the payments and but it's um, it's usually
0: minuscule, right? It's usually a minuscule yeah. like fee that you only made for make for some certain levels of yeah. huge payments, right?
1: It's, and 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 foreign transfers and, and stuff like that, not domestic. And
0: yeah, yeah. Mm, I see, I see. But you know, it's still it's still a part of the business, and you know, you don't want something to squeeze you out if you're uh, not. So I I kind of see the value there as well, where if you include some of these document processing technologies in your uh it's, it's basically again a question of how good of a service do you want to provide to your customers right and yes. some people want to be proactive in that regard other people are like yeah you know what you know what uh, by the time this gets implemented I, i'm already going to be looking for another job so why, why, why should i care right uh, mm-hmm. why should i be so proactive that's i think that's the uh, from my perspective it sounds like that's what's happening uh, in those sales cycles with with these customers. Yes. yes. Cool. So one last final uh, topic that we're going to touch in, touch on. What's been your fundraising journey so far or the financing journey? And how are you thinking? What's your strategy? Uh, yes. How are you thinking about your capital requirements as a company? Yeah.
1: But uh, we are founded by... Uh by a, a Danish kind of zero investor who made uh, other companies, uh, Werner Valeur, who also made uh, bookkeeping systems and, and, and stuff like that. And then he realized that he needed, or the users needed an easy way to get data into these uh, systems. Mm-hmm. And uh, pretty early, he met uh, one of the two uh, Damgård brothers. They were the founder of Navision, which was uh, sold to Microsoft and it's uh, Kind of the foundation for for Microsoft Dynamics uh, these days, Microsoft 365 also, mm-hmm. and and oh, they, okay. had seen, uh, they had seen they've seen the same challenges of how to get data into to bookkeeping systems, so they uh, went on board as well as investor. One of them went on board as investor, and we have a, a Danish bank, Saxo Bank, yeah. that was one of these new uh, bankers. Um, and uh, and one of the founders of this bank is also among our investors because he could see that uh, also banks need to wait to, to get data from the invoices mm-hmm. and these were kind of the, the, the three first one and then a couple of years ago we had a new kind of a, a family uh, investor who looked at mm-hmm. this and saying this looks innovative and he wanted to be part of that today He's the chairman uh, of, of the board today so mm-hmm. so it's these four main investors that we have they are all uh, kind of uh, wealthy people, you can say, and, and, and they are in it for the long run, but mm. also in it to earn money. Mm. Uh, so uh, they, they are looking at uh, when is the right time to, to exit. Mm, maybe I not uh, all, or maybe not all at the same time. Uh, and, uh, and we are looking at uh, different options at the moment, uh, mm. We had a round where people where, where can can bid in and saying if if they want to be in a round now, and then we're looking at it here through January and February. Mm. We are at a situation, looking at the budgets right now, it seems like we can actually continue. We can grow without further financing, but we can also see that we can grow much faster. We can go to new markets faster than what we else would do with further financing. hmm uh, okay. but and, and this means also that when we're looking at uh, at investors here yeah. around christmas and the beginning of next year mm-hmm. we are not only considering the amount of money and the valuation they are willing to offer but also if they can help us uh, open doors to to new markets if they have uh, access to to bookkeeping systems that we're not connected to at the moment and and, and things like that Mm-hmm. This would also be very beneficial for us, and, and I'm sure that uh, our group of investors would look positive if someone came and said, could I buy a certain number of shares, mm-hmm. maybe buy from secondaries or, or maybe invest into the company so they will have a dilution mm-hmm. by an, an amount, maybe $5 US million or something like that, Yeah, and then… It would be uh, more positive if it's. Uh, I would almost say it's a requirement if it's someone who also can say, "And I can help open these doors to you."
0: Mm, I see. So you're basically looking for, you know, there's like, of course, a bunch of themes there uh, that you mentioned. You know, first there's the angel investors, the founding investors who uh, have been here for there for a long time, and although they're, they're okay to keep their money in, they also want an exit so they can move on to other stuff. Then there's the you know, the faster growth perspective where you do want some extra cash so you can grow faster. Have you... Mm-hmm. Uh, so, they, they, so the Danish Stock Exchange um, also has all these subcategories, right? Have you... This is just, you know, us riffing about things as, you know, two CEOs, not really uh, uh, something particular, but are you considering, are you thinking about having a small offering to the public no, or, I mean, you know, get I mean, I mean, you since you're sure. working with banks... Since you're yeah. working with banks and all, like just get you a little more gloss on on paper, like, hey, we're a public company, you know, we're going to be here for a long haul, you know, or yeah. something like that.
1: Yeah, no, we we're not in 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 a short time period. Uh, considering that, uh, I I think we are, it's working well with with a group mm-hmm. of investors, and and we can have one or two more investors, but I don't see us as kind of a publicly listed companies within the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. But after that, it could be interesting.
0: from From a CFO's perspective, and, and I actually, actually, only ask this question to you because you're because you were you're a finance guy, right? From a mm-hmm. CFO's perspective, uh, and it's interesting because I just had a company the previous week where they did go public very early mm-hmm. for for their own sets of reasons. But from your perspective, for your company, uh, given the context, how? Give us an overview. Give us an educational overview of the pros and cons of being public, uh, so we understand where you're coming from.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm an expert in, in this, but I I, I, I for sure know that uh, that if you're a publicly listed company, you have some administrative burdens, uh, some requirements to live up to. That mm-hmm. uh, that is not as difficult if you only have four, five, six, eight. Kind of investors that that you can talk to directly. There's no kind Mm -hmm. of, uh, there's not that much kind of regulation that is put on you. Mm -hmm. So you can, you still have regulation to follow, you still have uh, investors to report, you you have a board where the investors are represented and and stuff like that. But it's easier kind of to find your your own way through it and you're not into kind of regulators setting a high frame of what you need to do
0: i see so it's like uh, how much how much of an overhead would that add uh you know just a, an estimation approximately
1: yeah. i i don't know why I, I, it's some years ago since i worked uh, as an as an accountant and, uh, and things have changed since then but at this time it was it was huge
0: huge as in like any any context on huge
1: <laughs> hey, probably at least two full-time employees mm. and and mm. and for a small company like us this is uh, this is significant and i don't think it would be worth uh, it wouldn't bring value to anyone mm. investors that that we were listed just to to do these things and if you're a bigger company there you see the efforts percentage wise is smaller but you probably also need more than two fts to, to live up to this
0: Hmm, makes sense well karsten thank you so much for joining us today and uh, really appreciate your openness and you know you sharing all your uh, knowledge with us and uh, i wish you best of luck with your company
1: thank you thank you thank you for inviting